All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I am Sasha Wolf, joined as usual by my friend and producer, my brother from another mother. Oh, God. <laughs> what? Reunited and it feels oh, so no. good. We are going back in time. <laughs> I mean, both those references were just... Like, as cheese ball-y as you can get. But <laughs> my feelings for you are are strong. <laughs> and I missed you. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Yes. Back. Thank you. Holy cow. Missed you too. It was quite a turbulent few weeks we had. We you can and never I. be separated again. It's too painful. <laughs> 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 but how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, things are things are back on track. And you had a nice little trip for yourself I, there. I did. I, I uh, took my first plane ride, not of my life, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> we all know what that means when you say that now. Yeah. yeah. And how was it? So it was, it was good. I was, you know, fairly nervous. But anyway, it wasn't the plane that I was nervous about. It was that I was going to Chicago for Filter Photo Festival, which I do most years. I'm on the advisory board and I love... The group of people that that run Filter, and I have a lot of good friends in Chicago. I love that city, and it's it's just I love photo festivals and mm-hmm. portfolio reviews because it feels like this really great pro bono sort of thing that people like me do, mm-hmm. and that just feels really great. And then there's just such a strong sense of camaraderie and community yes. that I I really love. So the energy is always so the good, energy right? the energy is awesome until the last day when everyone's <laughs> exhausted. But yeah, um, it's it's really so it was great. I was what I was nervous about was just sort of being in the in a hotel for I think I was there for six days and mm-hmm. you know and being in a room with people, sort of going in and out and and anyway, I think I'm okay. Um, yes, yeah. got home last <laughs> night, so check back in a few days. But it was it was wonderful to be um, with so many people in our community again, for sure. And, um, yeah, I know that that's wild. I mean, is that the first large event you've been to then? You know, I've been to a couple, I went to the sort of party that ICP had for the show, but oh, that's right. And that was, was, but I was nervous there too. (laughs) No, Um, yeah. Understandable. But this was really felt like the first sort of big normal thing. Mm -hmm. And I felt, yeah, really joyful for for most of the time, and then I had the um, wonderful experience of uh, coming home to Peanut, and our reunion <laughs> was very special. <laughs> A very special Peanut and very, Sasha reunion. Very special. <laughs> uh, so got my dog back, got my girl, my little sidekick. <laughs> Maybe I'm her sidekick, by the way. I actually think there's uh, yeah. a distinct possibility that I'm Peanut's sidekick. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the entire family here is Susie's uh, ward. Yeah, yeah. I think Peanut in the park this morning when she saw her friends was just like, yeah, I got my sidekick mm-hmm. back. There she is, <laughs> ragging behind. 
<laughs> Before I forget, by the way, I want to just acknowledge my good friend, Amy Moskowitz, mm-hmm. who um, is a graphic designer and redid our logo. So, Amy, thank you so much. And it looks so good. Yeah, it's a it nice, clean yeah. tile for the podcast. Yeah. And it looks great as a banner. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, so good. Yeah. So thank you, Amy. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. So Getting to the episode, which was a conversation that I had with the photographer Alessandra Sanguinetti, um, what did you think? I just loved it. Uh, Alessandra, you know, the way she opens up and, and talks about uh, the idea of confidence and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the kind of crises that can sort of take you off your game and, and mm-hmm. make you question whether or not you're still a good photographer. Uh, really, uh, it's very heartfelt and meaningful and uh, it meant a lot to me. It really did. And then you have a, a conversation about being a sort of part of this great history of storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just so many good things in this episode. Yeah. I have to say, I, I really have to sort of go back through all the previous episodes, and which I I haven't done, but I'll just say that I I feel like I feel like it's the most personal. Yeah. It feels the most sort of raw, honest. I mm-hmm. I I think it's an incredible episode. I I love it. I mean, I was in the conversation and then when I listened back after you edited, I was so moved. Uh, yes. so I actually I wrote to Alessandra and just told her that it was one of my favorite episodes to which oh, she replied. Nice. I'll bet you say that to all the guests, <laughs> but <laughs> We love all our guests. <laughs> but I don't say that to all our guests. Um, yeah, I think this, this episode is, no, it, is really moving, special. So. Moving was the right word. I, I was very yeah. moved as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we get to it then without uh, further ado. Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Alessandra Sanguinetti. Right, Alessandra, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for doing this with me. I was really looking forward to talking with you. Hi, Sasha. I'm happy to be here. So let's get started the way we always do. If you could just tell people about your just your bio, your background, how you got to where you are today, and where you are today. Like, what's where are you? What are you doing? What's what's happening? All that stuff. It's... You were born in New York. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, thanks for the tip. You know, the older I get, the less sure I am about everything. I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought, like, by the time I was 52, I would just, like, be wise and understand myself. And I could define myself. But it's the exact opposite. I think that's actually a sign of maturity because I think when we're young, we think we sort of know it all. And I think wisdom comes with realizing how much we don't know, including about ourselves. Yeah, but it doesn't feel good. Okay. okay, So yeah, I was born in New York. My dad's Argentine and my mom's from the States, Brooklyn. And they met there, they had us. And then when I was two, they moved back to Argentina. So that's why I come from Argentina, even though I'm American. Um, And I grew up in Argentina and lived there until I was 30, when with my ex-husband, we 
decided just to go spend a couple of years at my grandfather's house in Brooklyn and, you know, look for a gallery, that kind of thing. And two years ended up being until now, for me at least. And I started taking pictures when I was little. I never thought about being a photographer. I actually never thought about what I wanted to be. My parents never explained to me that you had to make a living or that, you know, like, I was kind of feral. I had nothing explained to me. They were very loving, but, and yeah, so I would, I would just take pictures forever about everything since I'm nine. And then, then I studied anthropology for two years after school. And mostly what I did was just ask people to take their portraits. I would drag them downstairs and pin them against the white wall because I was into Avedon then and <laughs> and just photograph them against the, the white background. And that was my way of making friends because I, I didn't know how. I was too shy. And then I quit and I went to ICP in 92. And that's when I realized, oh, you know, you can... It's a thing. You can be a photographer. And fast forward to now. Yeah, where are you now? And, and you know, how, how are you? What, what are your sort of associations? And are you teaching? Are you just making work? And Yeah, um, I live in California in Petaluma with Jim, with Jim Goldberg. And I have my little studio in the garage. And I'm working on a few different things. And... I teach workshops now and then, but I don't consider myself a teacher. Mm -hmm. I think to consider yourself a teacher takes much more. I I just, when I give workshops, you know, I just try to help out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say I did a couple days with you and Greg Halpern. You're both Magnum photographers. You guys asked me to to guest critique and... I thought you were an amazing teacher. That's why I'm bringing this up. <laughs> I thought you were so, you know, maybe I should have said this before we started recording because maybe it's not that interesting to anyone else. But I just, I thought you were so fantastic because you were so clear. Um, and, you know, anytime I wasn't clear, you would sort of come in and help translate what I was saying. And um, I thought your manner was really kind and supportive but firm I, I thought yeah so anyway I, th I think you're a natural teacher <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I only do workshops now if I can do it together with somebody else mm -hmm. if I with Greg it was wonderful because we're both you know we, we just like each other and kind of think alike mm -hmm. and it just makes it more interesting for me and I think it makes it more interesting for the students to have two viewpoints and hear yeah. Greg and I disagree on something or yeah. read something differently to play off each other you know when it's like that and relaxed I I feel good about it but if I have to be like lecturing or no I I just don't enjoy that no so how did you get involved um I think you're still represented by Yossi Yes? No. No, you're not at Yossi. So you're you're just sort of solidly parked at Magnum. Um, yeah, I've been a member. Well, I've been in Magnum since 2006. Okay. But that's a whole different world than the gallery world. You know, it doesn't... 
with Josie, we parted ways a couple of years ago. And right now, I don't have a gallery. I haven't been actively looking, but at some point, I will. Okay, well, we're really going to talk then when we stop recording. Anyway, I feel like you're really well known for a few bodies of work. I think on the sixth day, which is such a beautiful body of work, and you can explain it. But I feel like on the sixth day, I mean, that's when I first you know, learned about you, uh, first saw your work. But then when the adventures of, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this, when the adventures of Guichet and Belinda and the enigmatic meaning of their dreams, that's a mouthful, but such a great title. When that book came out, that body of work, it's so powerful that I feel like it just solidified your reputation because it's so, it's a word I love, people might have to look it up, but it's, it's so sui generis, it's so original and so totally yours, and it, it's so powerful that it sort of was almost hard to associate you with anything else after that. And then you did a follow-up with the girls recently, which is very different. But I wonder if you can tell people a bit about on the sixth day and then how that sort of rolled into the first book with the girls because they feel like they're very connected. And if you feel like that has, you know, you have that awareness of how dominant that is in people's minds when they when they think of you, because you've done other work that's very different. And I love, by the way, but it is, you know, the work with the girls and, and on the farm mm-hmm. is so seared in my brain. Yeah. On the sixth day, yeah, that would be my first body of work that I feel was truly mine. Yeah. And in reality, it started, I think, when I was a kid, because I would spend summers and weekends in my dad's farm. He had some cattle, and and I would just, you know, was, I would just explore and be on my own and just watch the goings on. I wasn't made to work, you know, I was I would just be observing everything. And I just remember watching the animals and I always, I mean, I think most kids do, but with me it lasted um, forever. I, I always empathize with the animals more than with people. Yeah. To the degree that I had, I made up this god animal that I called Dios Animal, you know, with the wrong accent on it to differentiate from animal. And I would pray for it and ask forgiveness for what humanity was doing to the animals. Um, And it was like a little knit thing when I had learned how to knit and I put in like little pieces of paper with my favorite song lyrics in it. I remember I had the Beatles What's the name of the song? What would you do if I told you? Yeah, anyway. Oh, don't ask me to sing. People will will press stop if they're Anyway, listening. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm completely <laughs> diverging. But, but that's really where On the Sixth Day comes from. And I'm sure the adventures is also informed by all that and some kind of nostalgia for, for my childhood. But one thing I, I, that's like seared in my brain from when I was little is I, I would watch when the caretaker would round up the sheep in the corral once a week. You know, the caretaker can have as many sheep as they want and and then kill one each week to, to feed the family. And I would just watch that and I was like, I, I, I just felt so bad for the sheep. 
you know, they knew that something was going on because every week they would see one of them disappear. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so fast forward, um, when I was in New York in ICP, just I was doing work. I was mostly photographing children at that point for that serious sweet expectations. But when when the time to go home came closer, I just had like these, um, vision sounds like a grand word, but just these images that I wanted to do when I got home to Argentina. I just, Im- I just missed the farmland and... I knew that I wanted to do something there. I knew I wanted, I wanted it to be in color. I knew there was a story that hadn't been told yet, um, but I didn't know exactly how to make it a little shorter. I started working in the farm, and I would photograph everything, the gauchos, the work, this and this and that, and the animals, until I realized that, that it was the story of the animals that I was closest to. And I just photographed, you know, ordinary farm animals, and I found myself on my knees all the time because I, w- I wanted to be an eye level with them, you know. And I didn't think of it this way at the time, but I guess I was just trying to see life in the farm through the animal's eyes. Right, because a lot of the photographs do feel like, they either feel like the animal's point of view or the point right. of view of another animal, <laughs> you know. Right. Like it's another animal with a camera, not a person. I mean, right. which is amazing. And, you know, and I wouldn't agree with somebody saying I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this, anthropomorphizing. Mm-hmm. How do you pronounce Yeah, anthropomorphizing. Yeah. I actually don't believe in that term, you know, because <laughs> we're all living creatures and we understand each other whatever way we want to understand each other. And yep. there's no wrong way. If I, yep. if I project something onto an animal, that's just as valid as if I didn't. I really believe that. So that's on the sixth day. And then it overlapped a little when I began the adventures Um, because I had been gone for a residency. So I was gone for a few months and I was diagnosed with a chronic illness, you know, one of those like rare things and had to take tons of prednisone and all that for a long time. But I went back to the farm to sort of like rest and continue work of on the sixth day, but I really wasn't connected. I was like, my mind was somewhere else and I had just got, you know, I just had a big scare. It was the first time I was like sick in my life. Um, so being around animals and slaughtering or I just wasn't into it. And I just found myself spending time with Juana's granddaughters. Juana is a woman that I would visit a lot and photograph her animals all along the years. And Gisha and Billy were her gran- are her granddaughters, and they were always hanging around. So I just started hanging around with them. You know, I took some photographs, some portraits of them, thinking, "Oh, I could use this for Sweet Expectations, a series, a black and white series on kids." And, and then I started to film them because I had this little. Remember, it was the nineties, no cell phones, no real video cameras, you know, that were accessible. I started to film them with a little, almost, it's not a Fisher Price, but a very simple video camera because I just couldn't have enough of them. You know, I loved Belinda's sing-song voice and I loved Guillermina's earnestness. So I would photograph them in color and black and white. I would film them. I would play with them. And I would feel really guilty that I was just wasting all that time with two little girls, that I should be like doing my real work. But at some point after 
you know, developing all the film and sitting with it, I realized that that I wasn't wasting my time. Yeah. That that there was a story to be told. So I started organizing it a little bit more, you know, just finding a loose structure to it. You know, it's funny. I, I'm going to quote you back to yourself because, you know, as I do a lot of research before these podcasts and you did a, what I, I thought was a, a great interview on the Magnum website with um, someone named Matthew. I think it's Leaf Height. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, Matthew. I'm sorry, but something like that. And you actually, in talking about the work, you, you said to him, I, I think I've always been kind of immature. I have a hard time talking to adults, but I'm fine talking to kids. So when I was with them, our relationship came instinctively. When they got a little older, I began to feel awkward because they seemed more adult than me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you said that. I was going to see them in making pictures, which is nothing useful. It's not a real job. At a certain stage, they already had more grown-up jobs than I had. And then you go on to say how comfortable you felt with them when they were were young and how much you loved them. And I just love that answer. I just think it's so fantastic. But I think it's important just to mention here because obviously – you know, without that reality, you wouldn't have made that body of work, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's because you had that relationship to them where you felt so on their level in a lot of ways, which is really just wonderful, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't something that I was looking for. It just came organically from life. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't dream that up. (laughs) I don't have that much imagination. You know, I I need, I need people to play with. So something really you know, I don't know, it's interesting. So there's that work, which is so, it is all imagination. It's pictures of the girls acting out various hilarious. I mean, the book is really funny. I mean, I I laugh out loud so much when I'm looking through it, because it's it's the girls acting out adult like scenarios, but they're, Mm -hmm. they're these little kids. So it's just so funny. But it's all imagination, their imagination, your imagination. And, you know, your pictures during that time, the sixth day and and this work is so incredibly saturated. It's color and it's so, so saturated. It's really lush. It's a very specific palette. And then you made a body of work called Sorry, Welcome that's black and white and completely different which I also love, but I, I think that work is is so fantastic. And then you, you did other things, but then you went back and you did another series of the girls who are now grown-ups and have um, their own kids. And, and the work then becomes sort of a combination between the first series of work of the girls and then Sorry, Welcome, and other work you did. And then it sort of becomes, you know, an amalgam. But in that same interview on, on the Magnum website, you, you talk about, well, I'll read what you, what you said. I think that this process of change over time was, some, was also something of a source of conflict when it came to trying to put the book together over these last few years. I guess I had a hard time because I was working with older images and a different way of photographing than I had in previous years. So I had a sense that I needed to adjust to that or accept it. Can you talk about that? Because I I found that really fascinating and sort of unique. I haven't heard many people sort of talk about that or go through something like that, where 
you know, their work shifts and yet they're sort of working on an ongoing project. And so that their way of working shifts. And so that can create some tension as it seemed to for you. Yeah, the thing is, to make this second book, I was dealing with photographs I had made since 2004 until 2019. Right. Which is a long time for anybody, yeah. but it's even longer for kids, you know, for Gisha Belli, who were 10 and now they're like 29. And went through, through so much. And I, you know, they changed so much, of course. Yeah. And I changed so much. You know, I moved away. You know, I had changes in my personal life that also changed the way I, I saw them. Mm-hmm. And I photographed maybe differently now. You know, I don't know. I, I just don't think I'm as good a photographer as before. Well, that's interesting. So let, let me, because I, one other thing I thought was really interesting was I watched a video conversation that you had with Jonas Bendixson. Mm-hmm. I did a deep dive into you. <laughs> <laughs> I unearthed everything. You, you asked him if he ever had a crisis with photography, doubting if it was of any use or if he should just do something else. And I was really struck by that question because it sounded like it came from personal experience. So, Yeah, well, I went through that. I, th- I think most people yeah. know, go through it. But um, yeah, I had like a two, three, four... <laughs> Four years that that I was disenchanted with photography and with photography or with your photography. I mean, I, I can't separate it. Yeah, and and that was that was hard because my whole identity is with photography. That's yeah. the way I deal with the world. It's yeah. not something I do. It's not that I set time aside to do that. Yeah, I think I was kind of depressed to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. whether which started what. You know, I don't know. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I just was questioning the usefulness of anything. But that, of course, affected, you know, I was trying, going back to Gishi and Billy in the book, you know, I was trying to sequence it for five years, and I was never satisfied. Um, I wasn't sure what was the story I was telling, why was I telling it. I wasn't sure who Gishi was anymore, who Billy was, or who I was. You know, so I kept putting it off. I always just went against a, a wall. And then I think it's also when I emerged from all that self-doubt that suddenly everything started coming together. And I started to get friendlier with myself and with my work. And as soon as I got friendlier with, with myself, I would just be kinder towards the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I went through all the folders and suddenly I saw I had edited everything wrong. I saw frames that I had thought were the final ones that I had chosen and they were set in stone, and I realized it was a frame right next to that one. That was the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I did an overhaul of all the editing, and everything everything fell into place. But I think it, it had to do with sort of having some peace with myself and also not be so demanding. You know, I, I thinking that everything had to be this huge masterpiece. or Because mm-hmm. it was a little pressure to do something after the first book that was so loved. I... I know people may get annoyed with me for saying this, but I I think that's a sort of more, this happens more to women, I think, than than men. Makes me sad. I see women, girls, you start seeing it when girls are like 11, 12, 13 years old, where all of a sudden 
they just start doubting themselves all the time and you know you can put it off and then it comes rearing back and but I'm sure that was just incredibly painful I mean I've I've gone through that myself for sure many times Mm -hmm. and it's it's really hard did you have anyone help you sort of snap out of it I or was it something you just had to had to happen on your own no I just it it just Nobody can help you when you're self-doubting yeah, I, I and stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, <laughs> it, it, it just falls on deaf ears. Um, yeah. No, I just snapped out of it. And, yeah. you know, I asked Jim all the time for help on sequencing it. But, you know, and he's brilliant, as, as you know, making books I and do. all that. But, yeah. but it wouldn't really help because his vision is so different than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have wonderful ideas, but they weren't for me, you know. Yeah. And... You know, of course, he would be super encouraging. But in the end, it was my sequence. It worked when I did it myself. Of course, I had help. I asked Greg, you know, I asked a few select people, you know, what do you think? Does does this Mm -hmm. spread work or not? You know, but just like very specific things. But the overall feeling of it, I had to find myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how that happens. I I know this is... She's spoken about this in public, so I'm not saying anything that isn't out there. But, you know, Julian Laub, the photographer, her new book that just came out with Aperture, and it's uh, about her family, and she's been working on this for over 20 years. And the book was supposed to go to press, I think, last January and for a spring release. And at the last minute, Julian just said, it's not done. And mm-hmm. went in, and thankfully, she was working with Leslie Martin at Aperture, and Leslie was really understanding. And, and you know, she knew she had more to do, and she did more. And so I agree that at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I obviously believe that artists can use a lot of help because that's literally what I do. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I like to think I'm important and that I make a difference. Uh, if I didn't, I would feel so sad. But but yeah, at the end of the day, with really, really personal work, that flow and that sort of, yeah, there's just a flow that can only come from the creator because it, it is so personal. Yeah, and sequencing and making, it's such mysterious work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so mysterious, you know, how sudden it feels right or it doesn't, you know, and, and I cannot say why. Yeah, you know, it just—I just knew when it felt good. There's no, there's, there's absolutely. I mean, it's obvious, but there's no formula. <laughs> no, but of course, like, I mean, there's no point in doing this. But of course, if you went in and really like analyzed, you could probably find some of those clues, right? To like right. why you wanted this picture after this picture. Like, oh, you of go course. in like a forensic scientist and figure out well in this picture you know, it might be about form or it might be about subject, but there's usually some clue there. When you know you've got it, you don't need to get in there and start analyzing every little thing. No, but actually, like, when I looked at the book after it was published, I saw so many relationships Mm -hmm. and things that were happening between pictures that I didn't consciously see while I was doing the book. Right. And the same thing happens with my work. When I'm shooting, I... I discover why I did what I did afterwards. That's just the way I work. I'm not, I don't know exactly 
or I think I know what I'm looking for. But I know that the real thing isn't going to be what I went looking for. <laughs> it's going to be what kind of escaped my will. Well, I think that's the part of making art that makes it yeah. so much like a self-therapy session. Like when people talk about learning about themselves from making work, you know, often when an artist is asked, why do you paint? Why do you draw? Why do you photograph? The answer is often to learn about myself. And that that is how that happens. You know, you go out, you make work, you're not sure what you're doing. I mean, I wrote a film once when I was still making films back in my former life. I wrote a script and it was a short film. So it was a very short script. And it just came out of me in one night. I'd been thinking about something really odd and wacky that had happened to a friend of mine who was a nurse in a psychiatric hospital, and mm -hmm. I couldn't get this little moment in time of something that had happened to her out of my head. And then I sat down to write. I would sit down to write as often as I, I could. And just the story poured out of me as if I was possessed. Mm -hmm. And I finished the script in one night. And then I read it as if... I hadn't written it. Right. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is what I wanted to say. Like I learned what it was I wanted to say as a, the reader of it, not when I wrote it. Right. Exactly. It's just really fascinating how that happens. Um, I mean, it's painful when it's not happening, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, when we have blocks whether it's writer's block or any sort of creative block, that can be obviously very painful, but when it's flowing, and, and of course, sometimes you have to just get through it, right? So you have to just go keep making work, whether you think it's good or not, and, and just somehow bust that door down and get to, the, get to the other side. I mean, I know it's really, really difficult when, when one is filled with self-doubt. You know, I always say to people when they say, well, I'm not making good work now, I don't have anything to say. I, I always say, well, just, just go do it anyway. You don't have to show it to anyone. But, you, you know, yeah. just go do it anyway because you have to figure out how to bust down that door back into your unconscious and back into your confidence. Yeah, I never stopped shooting even with self-doubt or anything. What I had trouble doing is making sense of it after mm -hmm. I did it. Right. That's yeah. why it took long. But making the work, I'm... I've always made work, but maybe I leave it to sit in drawers for a little longer than I should. <laughs> or maybe you know, it's the I, right amount of time. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's the right amount of time. Now that I'm just getting older and feeling, oh, I just want to get, you know, I want to like start wrapping loose ends up and start something new. Mm -hmm. So how does it work with, I mean, the two things I really curious about you can tackle them in whatever order you want one is i'm curious what the status is of your video work which i had written down as a question before you mentioned it because i i know you shot a lot of video of the girls but i also i'm, I'm curious I, I don't think i really know what it means to be a member of magnum so if you could sort of you know answer both those things i'm really curious yeah when i had a hold of a video camera and the mid-90s I just filmed as much as I photographed but I never really knew what to do with it mm -hmm. and then especially with the girls the whole work started 
mostly with film because I would I would first ask them to like interview each other or let's pretend that you're in a TV show and you're dancing, you know, let's pretend this, let's pretend that. And I would um, set up the video camera on a tripod and and I would just watch in awe. And then I would be, oh, hell, I should take a picture of this. You know, so while the <laughs> video <laughs> camera was running, I would get, you know, my Hasselblad and start shooting. And then at night I would look at the video and put pause and say, damn it, why can't I take a picture like this? You know, why are my pictures so stiff? So then I realized, oh, yeah, I'll just do the pictures while I film. So they went together. So I ended up having a ton of film. You know, I would film them while they dressed up. It was a time where I would record everything, not only with Gishi and Belly, but I would record everything in my life. So I have like 70 hours of video of them across the years. And I always knew I wanted to do something with it. Never knew exactly what, but I was always too busy, you know, how long video takes to to edit and mm-hmm. watch. And so I never really got to it. And just to make it shorter, um, an Argentine director, Julia Solomonov, who made a movie that she was a bit inspired by aesthetically to of Belli called me up and said, have you ever thought of filming them? And I said, well, it happens, I've filmed them. And, and she, she offered to help produce a film. So we've been applying for grants and we got a little Sundance grant last year to help pay for, to start editing it. So that's where I'm at with that. That's exciting. Yeah, 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 it is. And I think it could be pretty wonderful. And what? it's wow. not going to be, you know, it's not about the making off, you know, nothing could be more boring than that. I wanted to have a completely different register. We're still figuring out the structure, the feel of it, and all of that. Because, you know, I, I, I didn't film with a storyboard. It's just a, a lot right. of random filming. Right. So that's, that's the filming part. And I joined Magnum because I just wanted to have an agency. And I was choosing between agencies while I was living in New York. And somebody mentioned Magnum. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll try. You know, I didn't know about Magnum. I knew about, obviously, the photographers that were in there, but I never knew there was an agency that they were a part of. So I applied and I got in. And I really, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. So what were you getting into? Well, what I got into changed through the years. <laughs> when I first got in there, it, it was a little bit of a boys club. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a lot of a boys club. Mm-hmm. But... Through the years and now, I think it's a pretty wonderful place. It has its problems, you know, just like any place with a big group of strong egos. Yeah, of course. But the community that we have now, since younger people started coming in and people from other backgrounds, from other countries, it's just it just feels really good. I I really like the people that that I'm sharing it with now. And how does that matter? Like, so do you get assignments through Magnum? Or do you like, I don't, I still, sorry, I, I should know this. It's really embarrassing that I don't know, but I don't know. And if I don't know, then probably a lot of people listening don't know. But like, what does it actually do to be a part of Magnum? Well, Magnum is a cooperative. So we all decide its course. You know, mm-hmm. and we sort of choose the staff. And there's an editorial department, a commercial department, so you can get editorial jobs, which, of course, are much less now. 
Right. Um, yep. Before that used to be the backbone of the agency. Now it's sort of a side thing almost. And, you know, the staff looks for commercial jobs or editorial mm -hmm. jobs. Or you can say, you know, like I've told them, you know, I really would like to go to this part of the world. So if any anything comes up, right. have me in mind. So that gives me opportunities. And then also there's photographer-led projects, which are the best things when that happens. You know, a group of photographers has an idea, you know, we have an idea to go do work about something and and we find funds um through collectors or through museums and and we go do it so it's i mean it really is very varied and, and it seems like magnum's doing more like workshops and stuff like that well yeah there's more workshops on the square sale because of course we need to survive <laughs> right no i think it's great yeah. i'm i'm yeah. plugging it when i'm by mentioning it i'm plugging it yeah no and and i think the workshops are, are working out I, I really enjoyed doing that the long-term mentorship with greg that was the first the first one so i thought your students were incredible by the way i was like really so impressed i told so many people that the caliber was really amazing. I mean, there was only like a couple of moments of being like not knowing what to say because the work was not ready yet. You know, the work hadn't evolved enough. And so it was sort of tough to sort of get in there. But I thought the ratio of that to really mature bodies of work was amazing. Like the best I've ever experienced. Like Really? Oh, that's yeah. so nice to hear. When I do workshops, I... I get really protective <laughs> of the students, yeah, and I really care, you know? I thought that really came through. I thought you and Greg, it was really clear that you had developed real relationships with the people, and it, I, yeah, I was just super, super blown away, to be honest, uh, by, by the whole experience. I, I said to Jackie Bates, who I did it with, and also to other people that, you know, I do a lot of sort of guest critiquing things. And I was like, oh, my God, I wish they could all be like that. Like, it was just really, a oh, really that's, amazing that's great experience to hear. for me personally. So, yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful. Well, so before we wrap up, can you talk about what you're working on now? I, I, I know a lot of artists don't like to talk about what they're working on currently, but it's worth a, an ask. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have this project I... I began in 2014, and it actually started through Magnum Group project that we had. It's in Wisconsin, and it's based off of um, Wisconsin Death Trip, which was a book I saw when I was a kid, and that sort of led me into photography. So I went in that in this Magnum project, Wisconsin came up. I knew I wanted to go to Black River Falls, which is the town where most of those pictures were taken in that book. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I, I wanted to, to do something there. Mm -hmm. And so that was 2014, and I just went back three, four times, and now I'm starting to wrap it up. If you ask me what it's about, no, I can't say right now. <laughs> that's okay. Normal. But I, that's, that's exactly what I'm figuring out as I try to, to set it into a book. You know, what am I saying? Why? What's this for? Um, why did I go so much? Why am I fascinated with this place? Why am I shooting like this? I'm still figuring that out. You've arrived back, I, I sense, at a place of feeling like photography is worthwhile. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's photography. I, you know, sometimes I feel really silly. 
<laughs> you know, sometimes I feel like a buffoon being a photographer, you know, going, especially because the way I work, I go into people's lives. You know, I'm not like doing self-portraits or studio shoots. So being in other people's lives sometimes makes me uh, feel a little bit foolish. I don't know. I, I, I That's why I, I can't really embed myself with people when I'm working on something because I need to withdraw and remember that I'm my own person. <laughs> That I yeah. have my own life, and then I then I can go back in, and then I have to go back out. But um, I forgot why I was saying this. Well, I asked you if the you know crisis of feeling that photography might not be worthwhile had been averted. Oh no, I mean it's all I know how to do, and I love it, you know. And when I'm not doing it, I'm a little lost, you know. It's my only way of connecting the dots. The one thing I'm doing when I'm sort of feeling far away from it is I started like painting a little, which I have no idea how to paint or draw. So it's just for me. But it really helps me remember that I'm a much better photographer than that. It's helping me go back to shooting and enjoying it more. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that they, one way to keep the the passion for photography arrive is to do something that they feel they're not good at, but I, I really, I really <laughs> no. like this strategy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think I kind of simplified it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. Look, I mean, you know, people who listen to the podcast, the most devoted listeners w will know that I often have my own, you know, struggles and crises over if what I'm doing with my life is important at all, or whether it's silly and insufficient for my one time here in terms of contributing. Because the way I was raised, it's my mom just passed away like six weeks ago. <laughs> so I was gonna quote oh, her, I'm but so it's, sorry. it's hard. You know, my mom, like that was, you know, how we were raised was the most important thing was to be a mensch, which for those non-Yiddish speaking people listening <laughs> just means a good person. But it was always that. Was a refrain in my household was to be a good person during your one time on the planet and to contribute. And, you know, so I, I really struggle with that. So when I hear, you know, artists talk about that or struggle with what they're doing, is it like I really relate to that. And I think it's a really worthwhile I don't feel bad about that struggle. Like, I don't feel like I'm being hard on myself. Sometimes people try and tell me not to feel that way and say I'm being too hard on myself. And I, I don't think it's about that. I think it's perfectly good to wonder that. Mm -hmm. If you are coming up short, then figure out what more you can do and or figure out why it's important to just do the thing you love. I mean, it's very, it's, it's very much in keeping with sort of Eastern Buddhist philosophy that the most important thing is to, you know, be true to yourself and do the thing you really love, because then you will be the best person you can be. And that will be better for everyone you come into contact with. And I really do believe that. And so often I come right back to that place. That's where I wind up when I'm thinking about this. And wind yeah. up right back there. And I think so I think it's an important sort of preoccupation. Yeah, no, when I when I when I drift away or start, you know, questioning it, I always come back also because it's storytelling. When I remember that I'm mostly a storyteller in the way I work, 
I think that's important. Sto- you know, we all know storytelling is what keeps us alive, you know, hearing yes. all through history. I mean, history is basically storytelling through unreliable mm-hmm. eyewitness accounts. Yeah. You know, and when I remember that I'm part of that tradition, when I remember that I'm in that realm of like poetry and and just connecting different lives, different stories and having some kind of record of lives lived, I I think that's really important. And that's when I'm when I really feel it's worth it and I don't feel silly about it. But I have to remind myself you know, that it's not, it, it, okay, I'm alone in my studio doing this little thing that who knows, maybe a thousand people look at. But then I remember that's just the way it is. And then everything starts getting connected, mm-hmm. you know. And if you touch somebody, like if somebody re- sees the pictures and feels less alone, that's huge. You know, I, I when I remember all that, it's important, just like poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, poetry is like huge. It's so important. But you could also feel foolish being a poet, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting around writing about small things. Yep. But but at the end of the day, they're really the most important things. Well, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's a great place to stop. So thank you so much for hanging out with me this afternoon. What's well, it's this afternoon for me? It's not quite there yet for you, but thank you, thank you so much, Alessandra. And um, hopefully we'll get to hang out one of these days. Yeah, thanks, Sasha. This was great. I really, really like talking to you. Thank you. Likewise. Okay, take care. Be well. Okay, bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.